Mark chapter 11, we're really in a mini-series of sorts. We're preached two messages on the, the night of Jesus' betrayal, of course. And this is a verse that he said, or words that he said, of course, a few days before he went to Calvary's cross. And of course, this is in his last week of the Passion Week as we know it. Jesus said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, as soon as I get my rocks fixed here, I'll start to tell you what he said. Our text verse is verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the story found in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Verse 27 of the same chapter, Jesus said at the night of the Last Supper, he said again, let not your heart be troubled. We talked about the peace of, the place of peace. The place of peace is not in this world. The place of peace is in Christ, and the place of peace is from heaven. Last Sunday, we looked at the serenity of Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out. We know that that Last Supper that they sang from Psalm 118, the Hallel Psalm, and we said that serenity for the Christian comes by knowing the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Serenity is in knowing and fulfilling his will. And thirdly, serenity is in living this day, every day, in praise. This morning, we want to examine Jesus' last words. You know, the most important things you say, usually you say at the end of your life, if you know it's going to be the end of your life, last day or last hours, you want everybody to know what's important. Jesus wanted his disciples to know what was important in their last days before he went to the cross of Calvary. And the teaching this morning is a very simple teaching in regards to basic Christianity 101. Jesus, when the disciples were astonished by the fig tree in verses 20 and 21 that was withered, and we'll talk about the more in a few moments here. When Peter saw it, the disciples saw it, they were astonished at how fast it withered away in one day. And Jesus answering saith unto them, verse 22, have faith in God. I want to have just a message on the biblical teaching of Faith this morning. What is biblical faith? Five things in way of introduction. And biblical faith is, first of all, it's the need of the hour. First of all, it's in Elohim. It's in the God of the Bible. In the beginning, God, the word in Genesis 1-1 is the word, the name Elohim. It's plural. It's Hebrew 101. It's uh, Hebrew. Yet God is one. There's one God. But he's manifested in three persons. In verse 26 of Genesis, the Bible says, Let us make man in our own image, God said. There's a triune, believe in the triune God, not the God of uh, man's making, not the Hindu God, not the, the God of uh, uh, Muslim, but the God of the Bible. That's the, the object of our faith. Faith is not in faith, but faith is in the object of faith, which is God all alone. Some people have just faith in faith, which is no faith at all. Faith is grounded in the object, and the object is God Almighty himself. So when Jesus said, have faith in God, the first thing that we need to know is about it, we need to have faith in God, the true one and only true God of heaven. Secondly, faith, biblical faith, is it's essential to salvation. Without it, you cannot be saved. Without it, you cannot become a Christian without exercising faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Salvation is by exercising faith in Christ alone. Faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. Jesus is salvation alone, and 
in, by putting our faith and trust in what he did for us on the finished work of Calvary and the, the, the cross and the resurrection. Thirdly, faith is, it's, biblical faith is essential to please him or to please God, in other words. Hebrews 11.6, Pastor Parmar already alluded to it. But without faith, it is impossible, not slightly possible, not a little bit possible, but no, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith is, the biblical faith is in, is in Elohim. It's in the God of the Bible. It's essential to salvation. It's essential to please him. Without it, you cannot please God. We must exercise faith in the God that we have not seen with our eyes, but we see him all around us in our in creation. But fourthly, it's foundational to our Christian walk. We're saved by faith, and yet 2 Corinthians reminds us that we are to walk by faith. This world's not our home. We are on a walk journey, a faith journey through this earth here. The Bible says, for the just shall live by his faith. And we must walk by faith just as we are saved by faith. And lastly, in way of introduction, biblical faith is, with it, with it nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. In Matthew 17 and verse 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence from yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. The song says nothing is impossible when you put your faith in God. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in his word. Hearken to the voice of God alone. Is there anything too hard for him? So put your faith and trust in the Lord alone, for nothing's impossible in him. In Mark chapter 10, the previous page, verse 27, Jesus looking unto them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So faith removes impossibilities. For forgetting all impossibilities, trust him. Forgetting all impossibilities, trust him. And so we see this biblical faith. It's an Elohim. It's essential to salvation. It's essential to please him. It's essential, it's foundational in our Christian walk. And without it, nothing, or with it, pardon me, with it, nothing is impossible. So I want you to consider our text has, uh, talks about a mountain. Verse number 23, it says, For verily I said to you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, the Bible says nothing shall be impossible to him, be thou removed. I want to deal with three things this morning, consider three things this morning about mountains and faith. First of all, consider who made the mountain, mountain making. Mountain making. The hills are his, the mountains are his. The Bible says the name is 14, 4 and verse number 13. For lo, he, he formeth the mountains and created the wind. Every mountain in your life, every beautiful mountain in this world has been created by God, of course. Every scenic view, every mountain on planet Earth is made by him. Every symbolic mountain is made by him or allowed by him as well. Mountains, every obstacle, every barrier, every insurmountable burden in your life that's a mountain God knows about. And he maybe either, he either ordained it or he allowed it. Consider Job. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job could not, his maladies that came upon him, his curse that came upon him was allowed by God. Satan had to come and ask permission before Job could, uh, before he could touch Job. So I want you to consider the maker of the mountains. 
I remember when we used to have a choir. All those things seem so long ago now. But one of my favorite songs was, I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. He can calm the sea, make the sunshine again. I know the master of the wind. He's the maker of the mountains. He's the maker of heaven and earth. So confess this morning. We're talking about faith this morning. First of all, we need to confess who made the mountains, the good mountains and the bad mountains in our life, the insurmountable mountains and the mountains of burdens in our life. Who allows them and who can remove them? It's none other than the God of the Bible. Confess this morning that he made them. Isaiah 42 and verse number 5 says, Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spreadeth forth the, the earth. I want you to consider for a moment mountains, literal mountains. They're inert. They're nothing but a bunch of dust, dirt and rocks. And there was nothing for God. God spoke them into existence in a heartbeat. He declared, and just like the stars, and he created the stars also, Genesis tells us. He created the mountains in just the spoken word of his voice. In no time at all, he created those mountains in a nanosecond. It's nothing to God. But some mountains are unattainable to man. They're fantastical for us to conquer. Up until just about 70 years ago, nobody had ever climbed Mount Everest. Now almost 4,000 human beings have climbed to the top of Mount Everest. Many have not made it down. Many hundreds of thousands more have tried, but only 4,000, about 4,000 have made it to the top. It's a, it's a major obstacle for humankind to climb that mountain, of course. And there's major obstacles in our life. And yet God has allowed these mountains to be in our life. In a nanosecond, God that made the mountains can remove the mountains. The, your mountain in your life... It's no problem to God, for God to erase, no matter what your mountain is. I don't know what you're going through, but yeah, I'm sure you have some mountains in your life this morning. There's some mountain making. He, first of all, confessed that God made those mountains or he allowed those mountains. Secondly, not only can confess that he made them, but confess that he can move them. Back to our text again, verse 23. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt... In his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Confess that God can move them. When God gave this prophecy, he said, Whosoever confesses this mountain, say unto this mountain. He was either standing on the Mount of Olivet or he was looking at the Mount of Olives. Having been to Jerusalem, pretending this is a temple mount right here, the building in front of, behind us here. Just to the hillside across the way, I always called it the coffee house up in the hills there. I think most of you know what I'm talking about, about a half mile away. We can see it from our carport. There would be the Mount of Olives. And the Lord said, he gave a prophetic utterance. He said, for I say unto you, for I say unto you, verily I say unto you, if you say unto this mountain. I believe he's referring to prophetically Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 14 and verse number 4. Written some 400 some years before Christ says, as he stood here with his disciples, the Bible says, and his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives, which, before, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south. One day the Mount of Olives is going to split right down the middle. It's divided from the north to, to, to the south. I've been there. There's a Catholic church. Uh, there's a te you can Google this and see it for yourself. There's a, 
the eastern gate that's going to be split wide open, then Jesus Christ is going to walk through. It's been boarded up by the Muslims for about 800 years now, trying to keep the Messiah out. And then just a couple hundred yards down in the valley of Kidron before you start up the, the Mount of uh, Olives is a Catholic church. And the Bible says that that mountain will divide between the east and the west. It will split right in the middle. It will be a great valley. God says, I'm going to remove the mountain. He that made the mountain can easily remove the mountain. He that made the fig tree can easily remove the fig tree. Go back, if you would, please, in the context. Take a few moments with me and go back to verse number 20 and 21. And it refers back to a, the, the event the, the, the day before in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 21, or chapter 11, rather. And verse number 13. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came. This is Jesus and his disciples the day before. If haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Well, it was springtime. Figs weren't in season yet. But the, the fig tree was full of leaves and it didn't have figs on it. And it's a picture, by the way, of Israel. In Israel, it was a nation that was supposed to bring forth fruit. And when they didn't bring forth fruit, God removed them. I think there's a parallel to America. The day we don't bring forth fruit, God can remove us any time. We're a young nation. We've only been around for 240-some years. We, we were birthed out in a miracle way in our in war for independence 240 years ago. He can destroy us in a, in a heartbeat in a moment, in a moment of time, anytime he chooses. The next day, this fig tree, again, a picture of Israel. They came back the next day, and that tree, tree they've been around for 10, 20, 40, 100, 200 years. We don't know how old the tree was. But it was all withered, and the disciples were astonished how fast, how miraculous that happened. And the Lord said to him, have faith in God. I said it was going to wither, and it's going to wither. And so we see that God can, if God can easily make the mountains with the spoken word. He can easily remove the mountains, the good mountains and the bad mountains in our lives. And so in review, consider this morning that God is the mountain maker. He makes them, and he can remove them. But secondly... In our text, in the crux of the message, I want you to consider mountain monsters. Monstrous mountains, if you are mountain monsters. I want you to think of a beast or a leviathan or a woolly mammoth in this case. So keep the M thing going. <laughs> My outline here, in case you haven't figured out, it's all M's this morning here. I want you to consider, first of all, the, the mountains. Look at the verse one more time, verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed. And be thou cast in the sea, and shall not what? Doubt. And shall not doubt in his heart. There's the problem. We were talking about faith in mountains. I want you to consider the mammoth, the mountain, the mammoth of doubt. Doubt. We can believe God and receive or doubt and do without. The disciples had a doubt problem, an unbelief problem, a blindness problem. If you can turn one page in your Bible, you can probably do it a lot easier than I can. But if you turn one page in your Bible back to chapter 10, we read in chapter 10 in verse number 32 and 33. And as they were going up, as and, pardon me, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. We see the disciples amazed again. As they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. And he began to tell them, point blank, verse 33 and 34, 
let me paraphrase. He said, fellas, here's what's going to happen. Listen up. We're going into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, or for the Feast of Passover, Feast of Passover, rather. We're going in, and here's what's going to happen. The chief priest is going to betray me. The Sanhedrin is going to rise up against me. And they're going to crucify me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. He told them point blank what was going to happen to them. And it went right over their heads. When they were running around there, they didn't understand. They were full of doubt. They were full of doubting the word of God. I see a parallel today. God said in the end times shall you find faith on the earth. God said in the end times, said, because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. God said in the end of time that when you see all these things come to pass, look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. We see wars and pestilence and famines and all these things that are happening on the planet Earth right now and in our country right now. And we say, how is this happening? Where, where did this come from? And God all along prophesied it. And he said, when you see these things come, come to pass, so look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. Don't lose your faith. It's, these things must happen. And so we see that God made the tree. And uh, God cursed the tree. God made the mountains. And God can remove the mountains. But the 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 the... the, the the mammoths, the, the, the monsters of doubt will keep us from seeing our mountains removed in our life. I think of uh, James 1.6. But let him that ask in faith, nothing wavering. I don't know about you, but I have faith, but I, my faith wavers sometimes. In fact, it wavers a lot more times than I want to admit. We have, the Bible says, have faith in God. And yet our faith wavers and we start to doubt. Wonder if God can take care of our situation. James 1.6 says, For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven from the wind and tossed. Verse 8 says of James 1, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We're unstable when we, when we doubt. And James 1.7 says, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord that, he, that, that doubts. A little five-point outline about doubting, of course. It's not on the worksheet, obviously. But doubting, there's... It's, it's depressing. It's debil debilitating. It's discouraging. It's deadly. And it's damning. Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the fearful and the unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Doubt is a deadly disease. It's a deadly plague. And Christians are to walk by faith and live by faith. And so the mammoth of doubt. But then I want you to notice, it'd be so nice if we just had faith for a moment and we were able to move our mountains, our monster mountains in our life. But it doesn't work that way. The Bible says back to our text in verse 24. After Jesus say, said that we need to have faith in our heart without doubting, he said, notice the second thing. A second mammoth, a second monster, if you will. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye shall desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I want you to notice the mammoth of prayerlessness. America, we quit praying. We're quit, we quit being a nation of prayer. When our country was in trouble, when our country was being birthed, and during our civil war, we had proclamations of prayer. We have proclamations of reconciliation. We had proclamations of of uh, interceding the throne of grace in our, from the highest offices in the land. And God calls us to pray. No prayer, no power. No, no little prayer, little power. 
Jesus said in a parallel passage in regards to this text here in Matthew 17 and verse number 21, how be it this kind when the disciples could not cast out the demon boy possessed with a demon, they said, Lord, how come we couldn't do this? And the Lord said, because you must have faith as a grain of mustard seed, but how be it this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. It's not enough just to have faith. We've got to pray. Pray earnestly. There was a man one day in a nation that had gone into complete apostasy for some 10, 20 years. We don't know how many years, but thereabouts. And the king, wicked king and the wicked queen ruled the throne. Their names were Ahab and Jezebel. And for three years, the prophet Elijah said, it will not rain. And for three years, it did not rain. And then Elijah came and prayed again, and, and it rained. And he took on the prophets of Baal. You know the story on Mount Carmel. But the Bible relates that story in James chapter 5 and 16. reminds us of this truth. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe there's been times in our country when we've been turned around. I think these events that have taken place in the last three or four months here, I, mean, I think it makes 9-11 pale in significance. 9-11, we got through in good state. But I remember it seemed like at least for a month after 9-11, we turned to God. We had prayer. And uh, I don't think we're turning to God any longer in America. I think we're turning to the doctors and medicine and the science and to government for our answers instead of into to, uh, riots for our answers instead of turning to God. And we need to have a nation that prays together, a nation that seeks God together, a nation that uh, is not full of, and Christians that are not full of prayerlessness. My house should be called a house of prayer, the Bible says. Jesus said it himself. And so in order to slay the monsters, amount monsters in our life, we've got to, first of all, slay the, the mammoth of doubt, the mammoth, uh, the mammoth of prayerlessness. But then thirdly, in the text before us, verse 25, it's one thing to remove the obstacle of doubt and pray and believing, verse 23. It's one thing to, to uh, pray, and you need to pray and pray fervently in verse 24, but number 25, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against, against any that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Notice the mammoth of unforgiveness. If you won't forgive your brother, verse number 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you or your trespasses. It's not enough to believe. You must pray. It's not enough to pray. You must forgive. And you must forgive as you've been forgiven. And the Bible says, if I regard iniquity, that's sin in my heart, or unforgiveness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Listen, every Christian, we love every single Christian. I'm pausing for, an, for a honking of the horn. Thank you. Thank you. We love the brethren. The Bible says that we love one another. But we love the, un, un, our unsaved counterparts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we need to not hold bitterness and, and hatred in our hearts towards, the Bible says, love your enemies. And so we need to pray a prayer of forgiveness. And we need to love one another, of course. And we need to pray for that, 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 that lost soul, of course. I ask you the question this morning, do you have any mountains in your life? Dumb question. Of course you do. We all do. Any monsters in your life? Anything to overcome in your life? I think our country, we've got some monsters in our country for sure. Well, I want to give you the remedy this morning here. Uh, consider three things about mountains. First of all, the mountain maker, he can make them and confess that he made them and confess that he can move them. 
mountain monsters, the mammoths of doubt, the mammoths of prayerlessness, and the mammoths of unforgiveness. But then I want you to consider one more time verse 23 for the last time. Consider a mountain moving. You notice the word removed. But say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that these things which will come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Consider a mountain moving. You can't move a mountain in your life if you have an obstacle in your life. Some of you, you know, depression and suicide is way up and uh, domestic violence is way up in our country right now, of course. And uh, child problems and kids are getting, 16-year-olds are getting in cars and killing themselves in Torrington, Connecticut and, and so forth. And uh, because of depression and mountains in their life, they can't deal with things and so forth. And they're sneaking out at night and all the rest. Well, how do we move those mountains? First, first of all, you got to, and it's an order here, first of all, we must come to the Messiah. We must come to Christ. In John chapter 4 and verse 25, the Samaritan woman came to Christ, and she was talking to Christ but didn't come to Christ. And she said, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She knew that one day a Christ would come. I think around America today and around the world today, how many people have known the name of Jesus Christ and they know it in a swear word and a profanity? And then every day the name, of, the name of Jesus is blasphemed and cursed. They've heard that beautiful name, that, that, that saving name. Until you come to Christ for salvation, there's no hope of removing any mountains in your life until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus said to the woman in John chapter 4 and verse 26, for he saith unto her, I, I that speak him unto thee am he. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. You want to have a mountain removed in your life? Number one, come to Christ. Number two, and there's an order here. Not only first come to the Messiah, but secondly, follow the manual. Follow the manual. Follow the book. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I think America had some good success before 1962 to 1963 when we used to have prayer and Bible reading in our public schools. But one atheist stood up in, and in the courtroom in the Supreme Court of the United States, they struck down Bible reading in our public schools, and we've been going downhill ever since. We took the Bible out of our country. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God, that includes America. We need more Bible in America, not less Bible. We need, we need more Christianity in America, not less Christianity. We need churches and people. We need more Bible in, in our Christianity. The Bible says our, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We're getting to the point, and I slow down here and just say in a, in a heartbeat, we're getting to the point where we're getting sermonettes at church now just a few moments and these these services are a little bit difficult because of the venue that we're in now with these car services and so forth but people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of the word of god we can't sit down and peruse the word of god we got to do it quick and fast and get it over with we need more word of god not less word of god if we're going to see mountains removed in our life we need to follow the manual we need to have the messiah as our savior but thirdly and there's a progression again for the I want you to notice thirdly that we need to let our mustard seed, your mustard seed of faith, 
We need to let it mature. I planted a garden for the first time in my adult life this year. I've had a little extra time on my hands, so I got a little mini garden going in my backyard. I planted, I got some onion seeds. Do you know how small onion seeds are? My eyes are so bad now, I opened a packet up of onion seeds, and they're like a little speck of dust. And I tried to pick them out one by one and plant them in the ground too hard. I just finally just started sprinkling them because the seed was so small. That's how small a mustard seed is. But there's a difference between a mountain and a mustard seed. A mountain is dead. A mountain is inert. A mustard seed is alive. And you plant it in the ground, and you've seen many of you seen rocky crags and so forth and mountainous hilltops and so forth where the a tree growing out of a rock, just a fissure in that rock with a few specks of dust and grain and that, that seed will germinate and plant and eventually that rock, that, that seed, that live plant will break that rock in pieces, will break the stone in pieces. And there's the, we need to nurture our mustard seed of faith with the manna of God's word. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, It's not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Christian, we need more preaching, not less preaching. We need more word of God, not less word of God. You read the word of God, how important it is that you read God's word on your own. You should all be up in your Bible reading. We've had extra time on our hands. You should all be reading Bibles more than ever before. We need to have more preaching than ever before. So let your mustard seed mature and nurture it with the manna. But then secondly, number two, maintain Maintain, maintain, I'm stuck. I'm thinking of the word shelter all of a sudden, but maintain in place. That was supposed to be a joke. Maintain in place until the, vict- the victorious miracle. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? John said in John, 1 John 5, John the Revelator was the writer of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and the Gospel of John and Revelation, of course. Let me give you a quick history of John. He was the youngest disciple, we believe, when the 12 disciples were chosen. He was probably a teenage boy, maybe 17 years of age at the time. He's the last of the disciples, the last one, the only one that didn't die of a martyr's death. We believe that all the 11, all the 10 other disciples, apostles of the Lord, they all died before AD 70, all a martyr's death. But John lived to be in AD 90 or in 95. He's probably a 90-year-old man when he died on the Isle of Patmos there in... in uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. And he, he was, lived a long life. Every day he had to walk by faith. And he wrote these words in 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? As an 11-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As a 17-year-old boy, 16-year-old boy, I got baptized. As a 19-year-old boy, I went off to Bible college and God called me to preach. As a 61-year-old young boy, soon to be 62, uh, I lived these 40, 40 some years, 50 years for the Lord now. 50 plus years of being saved, of course. And I'm, I'm one by one, my, my mustard seed is growing ever so slowly, ever so faithfully. We sometimes think that we're going to conquer the world in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nanosecond prayer. Lord, get rid of this mountain in my life. No, a mountain may take, a, may take God may choose to have the mountain take years for us to, to, to conquer. But the Bible says in the resurrection chapter, 
1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable. Keep your mustard seed planted. Keep nurturing it with the manna of the word of God. Keep, keep on uh, being faithful until the victorious miracle. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So here's the punchline of the message this morning. Mound-moving faith, and I guarantee this, does not come in a 30-minute via a 30-minute message. I got over it a long time ago. You're not going to remember what I preached today and a day from now or two days from now or a week from now. You'll be long, it will long be forgotten. You won't remember that Pastor Schott's message was on biblical faith, faith on Sunday, June 20 or June 14th, 2020. You won't remember that. But hopefully you remember Mark chapter 11, verse number 22, have faith in God. I know you're in the car, but say that with me. Ready? Have faith in God. Say it again with me. Ready? Have faith in God. One more time. Have faith in God. So mountain moving faith does not come in via a 30-minute message, but by a minute-by-minute walk with Jesus Christ. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I end with an illustration that just popped in my head, and we'll be done here in just a moment here, and I'm going to pick on the hearts because they're here to pick on. So hearts, this is for you. We lost a lot, of, we lost a lot when, the, when the Hart family moved after 25 years of being in, in our church. and uh, They've been so faithful in our church for all these years, and now they're being faithful in their church in Tennessee. And they're faithful. And I've seen fruit. And, of course, uh, Amanda's not here. Bruce is not here, of course, there in Pennsylvania. Little Bell's there. And they're going to the mission field. It's Lord Terry's and is coming. They're going to go to Ghana, West Africa, and they're going to serve God. I have a feeling that the heart's faith is going to continue on, whether it's in Ghana, West Africa, or if it's in Tennessee, that they're going to keep on serving God because they planted that mustard seed of faith. They, they nurture it with the manna of the word of God. They, they're abiding victorious and faithful, and they're going to be overcomers. And everyone in this room can be everyone in this room. <laughs> everyone in this parking lot can be an overcomer this morning. If you realize that God is the maker of the mountains, he's the lower of the mountains, he's the remover of the mountains, we realize that the, monst the, mammoths, the monsters of doubt can be removed if we we'll believe. The, mon the monsters of prayerlessness and the monsters of unforgiveness. We can pray and we can forgive. God told us we can do that and we can do it. And then God uh, can move the mountains by trusting Jesus Christ as our Messiah, following the manual, following the book, and letting our mustard seed mature in our faith. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as a man came to you and said, and the disciples said, Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Lord Jesus, you said in one word to one, four words to your disciples, have faith in God. Lord, with having faith in God, thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth. Lord, you could deliver America from our present evil crisis, Lord, if Christians would pray, Christians would, would forgive, and Christians would love, and Christians would believe, God, you could do it again. We pray to that end. But, Lord, if not, we pray that we might be found faithful in this present evil day. Lord, have your will and way as we go our separate ways, dear God. Lord, increase our faith. May we have faith in God. And we'll thank you for it. And I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people, honk your horns.